Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This program is brought to you weekly by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. Stay tuned for today's message. Good morning and welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. This is Elder David Wise here with you today, and we are very thankful to have you here on the program. We're thankful for our radio partners to allow us to continue to broadcast in this way during the year of 2023. We've been doing this all the way back since 2015, so going on over seven and a half years now. So we're very thankful that we're allowed to continue to broadcast in this way. And if you listen on our podcast or on the internet, we're certainly grateful for you as well. If you are in the North Mississippi area, we'd invite you to come and worship with us at Macedonia in Ackerman, Mississippi, or Sulphur Springs Church in Caledonia, Mississippi. Go to our website, gospel-of-grace.com, as well as Macedonia's website, macedonia-pbc.org. Please email us. Please contact us. We'd love to know that you're listening and love to know that you're out there, and we'd love to help you with any questions or correspond with you in any way. This morning, we'd like to continue our series on Jesus Christ and the law, and we want to focus on Christ as our husband this morning, his fidelity in keeping the marriage covenant. Much of the Old Testament is focused on condemning those who do not keep the integrity of the marriage covenant, but we're certainly thankful that Christ is faithful in his covenant to us. So we hope the Lord will bless our consideration of that this morning. And we certainly invite you to stay tuned for that message that will play for you right after this hymn. We are blessed in the
Thank you for staying tuned with us here on the Gospel of Grace. And we'd like to continue our consideration of Jesus Christ in the law, searching the scriptures to see the testimony of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament law, pointing us toward New Testament lessons, but ultimately pointing us toward Jesus Christ. And this morning, we'd like to focus on Jesus Christ as our beloved husband, Jesus as the husband of the church. So to first of all introduce the spiritual aspect of this before we look at the Old Testament verses, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5 that describes the love that Christ has toward his church that is his bride. Husbands are commanded to love their wives in Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 25 to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The husband is to be the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the bride, as Christ is the head of the church. And husbands are commanded to nourish and to cherish their wives, even as Christ cherished his bride, the church. And God gave us marriage. That's something I want us to understand as we continue through the message this morning, is that God gave us marriage for a mutual benefit, no doubt, right? God gave Adam a helpmeet and said it wasn't good for him to be alone. He looked at him when he created him in the garden. And he said, you know, I know I made him good, but boy, that man's going to have trouble by himself. <laughs> so he needed some help. He needed some help. And God gave him a help in a wife, a helpmeet, a helper that is suitable for him. And we praise God that God ordained marriage in that way. But we first of all, you need to understand that marriage is not primarily about just the two spouses that choose to become one that I believe this person is advantageous to me in the future. Now, God gives us blessings and advantages, right? He moves in his providence to allow us to have a help meet, a helper that is suitable for us that can help us in the things of this life. And he meshes together personality traits and many other things that many times our weaknesses correspond to our spouse's strengths. And it's just amazing how God molds that together in the beautiful union of marriage. But primarily, primarily, marriage is not me looking at someone else and saying, you know what, these are some needs that I have. I think this person can meet my needs and I think it would be beneficial to me and advantageous to me for me to marry that person. Well, that's not the right perspective to be married. Instead, what marriage is, is this beautiful, amazing picture of the love that Christ had toward the church. And one of the blessings of marriage is that you can have the closest intimacy, you can have the closest relationship with someone this side of heaven that gives you a greater understanding of Christ's love toward the church and that hopefully you, as the husband and the wife, love one another sacrificially in such a way that people look at your marriage and they don't solely see you in that marriage. Instead, your marriage is intended to be a gospel message to the rest of the world. You know, someone may look at different parties of the marriage relationship, and they may have knowledge that, you know what, this person, they have some weaknesses. This person that's is not where they need to be. But look at the way that that husband or that wife loves them in spite of that. 
You see, we don't in the church just pretend like everything's hunky-dory. We, we don't live this fake life. No, we're commanded to confess our faults one toward another. And if you do that, you're going to realize that no marriage is perfect because the two people in that marriage, that none are perfect. But when we understand the limitations and the shortcomings of other people, and we see someone sacrificially putting their needs ahead of their own and sacrificially loving that person, even when they're struggling, even when they're not maybe making the best decisions, that is such an amazing picture of Christ loving us as the bride of the church when we don't deserve it. So what I want you to understand is that your idea of marriage, if you're a young person looking toward marriage, if you're a person that's already married and maybe don't have the right understanding of what marriage is supposed to be, marriage is not primarily you looking out and saying, you know what, this is what I want. These are needs that I want fulfilled. Let me find someone that can fulfill these needs that I want fulfilled. No, the purpose of marriage is to glorify God through this union that points us to greater service and devotion and grace toward the church. You know, your, your marriage should make you more devoted to Jesus Christ and more devoted to the church. <laughs> A marriage should never draw you away from the church. A marriage should bring you closer to Jesus and closer to the church because your marriage is supposed to be the gospel in miniature. Your marriage is supposed to be a picture of the unconditional love that Christ has toward his church and then the humble, submissive love that the church has back toward Christ as her head. So the purpose of marriage is supposed to be this gospel in miniature, this gospel presentation to the rest of the world that we love other people even when they don't deserve it. So here in Ephesians chapter 5, husbands are commanded to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives are commanded to submit to their husbands as the church submits to the headship and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 30, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bone. The church is one with Jesus Christ in this spiritual union. Verse 31, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined on his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. That's the command of marriage is to leave and cleave, to leave the former authority of your parents. And then you set up a new unit of authority in the family. You know, some people say, well, we're going to have kids and we're going to start our family. Well, your family started when you got married. You see, people that aren't able to have children, people that live their entire life married and they don't have children, they're not deprived of a family. They have a family. The family begins with the husband and the wife when they leave and cleave and become one flesh. But what's amazing about this union of marriage is that it's not just about you and your fulfillment and your enjoyment. Instead, it says that the reason why God gave us this example, this picture, verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The primary purpose of marriage is so that we can have a greater understanding of the gospel of the love that Christ has toward his rebellious wife. And, and we, as the bride of Christ, we fail the Lord every single day, but God still is faithful to his covenant. God still loves us. You know, in a marriage relationship here in time, you have two sides to the covenant. And under extreme circumstances for fornication and abandonment, there can be a severing of that relationship. 
But God's pattern is that there would never be a separation of that one flesh union between Christ and the church. Christ will never separate us. Christ will never cast us off. So the marriage covenant in an eternal sense is not a bilateral or two-party covenant. Here in time, it is. Both parties covenant. I do, I do, I promise to do this, and both parties have to hold up to that covenant. But in an eternal sense, it's a one-sided covenant. It is a unilateral covenant. And the reason why Christ died for his children is so that his bride would be with him in heaven. And he would never forsake his marriage covenant to his bride. And that's the kind of relationship that we should have with our spouse that points others toward Jesus Christ. So let's go to Matthew chapter 19. And Jesus is teaching to some people that are trying to trip him up. And it never turned out good when they tried to trip him up trying to catch him in some wording of the law. And they're asking him about marriage, but primarily they're asking him about divorce. Now there's a provision in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses one to five. There are certain provisions for divorce in the Old Testament Mosaic law. But by the time that Jesus showed up, the Pharisees had taken that and they've manipulated it and you could divorce your wife for just about anything. So I've read. And the Pharisees did just like they did with everything. They corrupted God's word and they put their own personal spin on it and made it suit themselves instead of remaining committed to the integrity of the text. So therefore, the Pharisees come before Jesus, tempting him, verse 3, and they say, hey, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? In other words, can we keep putting away our wives for any reason we want to? And Jesus said, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 4, have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Which, by the way, I shouldn't even have to explain this to you, but there are two genders in this world, right? Gender is not an opinion. Gender is not a feeling. Gender is a biological fact. And God made two different genders. You're either an XX chromosome or you're an XY chromosome. You're either a male or you're a female. And the Bible makes that so simple. And it's just amazing the confusion we have in American culture today over the most simplistic things it just shows that our society is almost wholly given over to a reprobate mind when we can't agree on something as simple as the biology of two genders. Moving on, verse five. And said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain but one flesh. What God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So the marriage relationship is designed by God to be one man and one woman for one lifetime, okay? Marriage is not one man and one man. Marriage is not one woman and one woman. Marriage is not a man and his dog. Marriage is not a woman and a cat. Marriage is one man and one woman for one lifetime. Biblically, you don't have the right to divorce your wife because you fell out of love with her. Biblically, you don't have the right to just leave your spouse just because you are tired of them or you don't love them anymore. You're not allowed to do that. There are two provisions and one of them being fornication and the other one being abandonment. But other than that, there is no grounds for divorce. And divorce has become so frivolous in America that we just take it and leave it. 
people view marriage no different than dating. I sign up to date you and I can break up with you at any time and I can divorce you and break up with you whenever I want and go marry someone else. Well, that's unbiblical. That's unbiblical. God's pattern is that what God has joined, when God acknowledges that a marriage between one woman and one man for one lifetime has been put together, let not man put asunder. And I'd also like to say that if two people that are of the same gender, a male and a male, get married, God didn't join them together, okay? So it says what God has joined, let not man put asunder. Well, the only thing that God joins together is one man and one woman for one lifetime, okay? So then the Pharisees say, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? Well, if we were never supposed to get divorced, why did Moses say we could get divorced? And he essentially says, because y'all are so stubborn and pitiful. Moses, because the hardness of your heart suffered you to put away your wives. But notice this phrase, but from the beginning, it was not so. He goes on to say in verse 9, And whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and marry another committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her that is put away doth commit adultery. So any divorce outside of fornication and adultery, here from Matthew 19, and then abandonment from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, anything other than that, if you remarry, you're living in sin. You're living in adultery, okay? But notice, from the beginning it was not so. Now, the Mosaic Law doesn't necessarily spend five chapters talking about marriage because the pattern of marriage was established all the way back in the Garden of Eden. You know, and this is an important point we probably need to remind ourselves of as we've been looking at the law for quite a while together. God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai as a very detailed exposition of the moral law and God's holiness and also some civil laws that just apply to the nation of Israel and such. But God's opinion on those topics did not begin on Mount Sinai and they do not end on Mount Sinai, okay? So when it says in the Levitical law that sodomy is wrong, one man and one man being together, one woman and one woman, he says, put them to death. It's an abomination, put them to death. Well, God's opinion on that did not begin on Mount Sinai, right? No, it was wrong in Sodom and Gomorrah when he destroyed that with fire and brimstone from heaven, right? So all of these things that the Mosaic Law expounds and, and manifests publicly God's opinion toward all of these moral laws and moral sins, but they did not begin at that time. So in, Le in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all these chapters, we don't find 10 chapters talking to us about marriage. Why? Because marriage was established in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, Right? And that's what he says, from the beginning, it was not all the way to the Garden of Eden. From the beginning, God's pattern has always been one man and one woman for one lifetime. That's always been God's pattern. And actually, much of the things that get a lot of attention in the Mosaic Law are all of man's corruptions of what God ordained from the beginning. I mean, God ordained one man and one woman for one lifetime, but within that covenant relationship, God gave the blessing of special intimacy, sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife that is not appropriate in any other setting. But God gave us that. And if you've been married, there's great blessings in that. There's amazing intimacy and blessings of that that 
hopefully give you a better understanding of the type of intimacy and love that Christ had toward his church. That's why God gave us that. But those feelings of sexual intimacy, they are very enticing to the flesh. Now, within the right setting, they're amazing to experience. I'm so thankful for that God gave us that. God gave us the blessing of that sexual intimacy. But the problem is that we have a nature that wants to experience the blessings that God has given us outside of the proper bounds that he's given it to us. You know, fire is fine when it's in the fire pit, but fire is a problem when it's outside of the fire pit and it can spread, right? God gave us something in marriage that's beautiful, but what does man do? Man always corrupts what God has given us. The Old Testament goes out of its way to condemn all different types of sexual sin, but these are all the same in the sense that they are sexual intimacy and sexual sin outside of the covenant bounds that God has put on marriage. So God has placed an appropriate fence, an appropriate fire pit, if you will, for sexual intimacy, but what does man do? It wants to take up that fire and put it somewhere where it's not supposed to be. So the Levitical law and the Mosaic law talks a lot about fornication, talks a lot about adultery, incest, rape, sodomy, bestiality. It condemns all of these. It says these are an abomination. And if you find anybody doing these, God does not play around with these sins that corrupt the pattern and the model of Christ and his church. He said, if you find any of those things, Old Testament Israel, you put those people to death. There was no quarter. There is no middle ground. There is no ignoring the corruption of the marriage relationship with all of this sexual sin outside of God's prescribed boundaries for it. So much of the Old Testament is going out of its way to condemn all types of sexual intimacy outside of the marriage covenant and one man and one woman for one lifetime. And we find that all throughout the Old Testament, don't we? Fornication, adultery, incest, rape, sodomy, bestiality. Man is always pushing the boundaries and always attempting to corrupt what God has ordained in a good, wholesome way. In Galatians chapter 5, we read the fruit of the Spirit a lot. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 and the beautiful exposition of the fruit of the Spirit. But sometimes we forget right before that are listed the works of the flesh. And you want to know the very first two of the works of the flesh that are listed here? You know, we talk a lot about love being the first fruit of the Spirit that's listed. And that's a beautiful attribute, isn't it? God is love, and we are no more acting like Christ, and we're acting more like Christ when we love than at almost any time. So the first fruit of the Spirit is love. But you don't know what the first work of the flesh is that's listed right here? Adultery and fornication. You know, the Apostle Paul said, I keep my body under subjection. I keep my body under subjection lest I myself should also become a castaway. Let him that thinks he standeth take heed lest he fall. I'll tell you how many good godly men, both in scripture and no doubt in your experience as well, how many good godly men have destroyed their life from giving in to the lust of the flesh and sexual sin outside of marriage. I mean, think about David, Solomon, Samson, Judah, many men in the New Testament. David, the man after God's own heart. Solomon, the beloved of the Lord. By the end of his life, he's apostate because he started chasing women and chasing the lust of the flesh. 
But I want you to notice how easy, listen, let him that thinks he stand to take heed lest he fall. It'd be easy to look at some of these people. I know men in my life that I've looked up to that fell into sexual sin and cheated on their wife. And in my head, there's no way I'd ever do that. In my way, there's no way I would ever do that. But if the man after God's own heart, David did that, and these men who are children of God, good men that, that were enticed to do that, this is the very first lust of the flesh. Do you understand that? How many good godly men has Satan corrupted from adultery and fornication? So be wary, be vigilant, because Satan will tempt you because it comes so naturally. Like our flesh desires that type of emotional, physical feeling that feels good. It feels good. And God gave us that within the right boundary. But instead, we want to have that feeling outside of God's boundary. And Satan is going to make you think that it feels good in the moment, but there's no consequences on the back end. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. Being enticed to commit sexual sin outside of marriage will always cause destruction. Always. We haven't left ourselves enough time to go to Ezekiel chapter 16 like I intended to. Christ's choosing of the stillborn child and no one cared about it, but it was a time of love and he brings that child and then marries his bride. But unfortunately, the bride is not faithful. The bride's not faithful. And it's described in very mature terms about the infidelity of God's people. We have in the Old Testament prophets, Hosea. Hosea was called to go marry a harlot and married her and treated her good and had kids with her. And then she left him to go back into harlotry. It's just hard for us to fathom that. But those are pictures that as the bride of Christ, many times we're not as faithful as we should be, right? We sin. We sin. We don't model the marriage covenant in the manner that we ought to. But praise God, Christ is always faithful to his covenants. God always keeps his promises. God will not suffer his faithfulness to fail. He will not break his covenant, and he especially will not break his marriage covenant. Why? Because we are one flesh with Jesus Christ. The church and the bride of Christ is one with Jesus, and he can't cast us off. It's just as much that he would cast off himself that he would cast us off because we are one with Jesus Christ. And by the grace of God, I hope that we can model the beautiful love that Christ has toward his church. I pray that God, by his grace, would allow us to love our spouses in such a way that we preach the gospel through our marriages and attract people into the church, attract people to the light of the gospel solely by the way we love our spouse, right? I pray that the church would be found doing that, not to corrupt it, not to be enticed to commit sexual sin outside of God's prescribed boundaries, but to honor him and glorify him and preach the gospel through our marriages, pointing toward the love that Christ has toward the church. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. If it has been, we give God the glory for that. Till we have a chance to meet with you again, we pray the Lord will richly bless you in grace and in truth.
If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist church in your area. Visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com to search for a Primitive Baptist church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find additional contact information. This program is also available on iTunes under podcasts with the title, The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Baptist radio broadcast. If you enjoy our program, send us an email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caldonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. Come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 1030 and tune in next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray that God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord.